Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. All right, welcome to the show, Brett. This isn't the first time, but I'm really excited about this topic. You know, I've been trying to find uh, this sweet spot of great clinical care and making, you know, damn good money because I think chiropractors out there deserve it. And, and I hear uh, a lot of different things from different chiropractors, and I know you do. And one of the things that I think we're struggling with from the, let's just call it the evidence-informed crowd, is finding that sweet spot. And, and I'm going to have you help us dive into that today. But uh, before we do, give us a little bit of update on, on what you got going on these days. First of all, I, I want to thank uh, thank you, Kevin, for having me back on. We we all listen to your podcast, so that your podcast has been uh, very helpful for for myself and all the other docs. So uh, I really appreciate you doing such a good job and the persistence that you've done with your podcast. Um, yeah, it's just you know post COVID, the teaching kind of all cranked back up. So I'm uh, I'm on the road again, not so much internationally, but uh, definitely within the U.S. and uh, we're running our own kind of clinical podcast called Gestalt Education. So that has really kept us busy. And, uh, and, and now the clinic, you know, constant management of the clinic. The clinic uh, is constantly evolving. Uh, it's, you know, I guess a true multidisciplinary clinic where we're, you know, we have obviously the chiropractic side of it, but we have massage therapists, health coach, functional medicine, uh, medical doctors, trainers, ATC, so it is like a lot of your listeners. I mean, now um, a part of my job is just managing people. So, yeah. And that's why I wanted, I, I kind of cherry picked you for this particular topic because I didn't want to bring someone on that was just all business. Um, I wanted to bring someone on that was really foundationally clinical and built a practice uh, and, and has done it in a way to where now, yeah, it, it's evolved, right? You got a, a great practice that you're overseeing a lot of people providing a leadership role, but then you're on the road, uh, training other chiropractors from a clinical standpoint, you've got the podcast going on, which you're, you're, you're kind of that, uh, investigative reporter, uh, on the clinical side. I know you just had, uh, I think Dr. James Andrews on your show. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a superstar he is. Oh yeah. my God. And so like, and I think the moral of the story is, and, and, and I know I'm in a similar boat, whereas, um, your focus on, on having a, a really good practice that's serving people has ultimately freed you up to do things that are a little bit more kind of a, I don't want to call it a passion project, but the podcast can be that, right? Like it's just something that not everybody gets to do. And, and you have found that, uh, the ability to do that. And it seems like it's definitely serving your passion. No, I think, I think that is exactly right. It's just, I feel like over the years, I've, I personally have accrued a bunch of relationships. And I feel like what the podcast has been able to do is kind of tie it all together. And, uh, you know, like the younger generation, for example, they, they don't even know who uh, Gary Gray is, for example, you know, so I've really, you know, kind of thought long and hard about who would make good guests. And I, we, we're trying to time it out in a, in a good way also to where they're spaced out in the right way. But uh, that's been the basically the main inspiration is to kind of expose some of these people and then also have some difficult conversations, but then in the end, try to integrate all together and kind of, you know, with any technique system, you're going to have your high points. So kind of get rid of some of the fluff and kind of talk about what 
actually changes uh, urinary practice. And that's, that's kind of been the goal of the podcast, but it's been, it's been so much fun. I mean, it's just been uh, a wonderful uh, year and a half. Taylor and I are just having a blast with it. So. Yeah. And you got such a unique opportunity to where you're going in person and it's video and audio and you're getting in their environment a lot of times, which is just cool, you know? And, and, and I was, I had a good time being on the podcast as well when you were here uh, teaching DNS exercise one to, to our group down here, which is where I want to kind of springboard from. And I remember having a, a pretty distinct conversation with you over coffee about, you know, what are like the four things you would really like to have clinically in your, in your tool belt. And then you kind of segued a lot into being a, a clinical sniper in a sense. And we're going to really touch on clinical efficiency because I think what's happening and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm going to let you take it from here is that um, when you and I graduated, I know you graduated a couple of years before me, I was fortunate enough to actually have a class of yours, uh, but you were one of the early people to get me into MPI. Uh, when we graduated, we just had a couple uh, skill sets underneath us other than evaluation, but it was, you know, manipulation, some soft tissue, a little bit of rehab. Um, but a lot of these young DCs now are coming out with all kinds of great tools, which is awesome. But for people like you and I, we kind of added over the years and it gave us a little bit of time to digest one thing, get efficient at it, then add the other. Uh, whereas I think a lot of the younger DCs are coming out with all these great tools, but maybe not being able to put it in a, a, a system of care or however you want to word it to where they can be efficient. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the way you teed it up was exactly what happened. So I graduated in 2003 and basically like the contemporary chiropractor at that point, they were utilizing ART, MPI, and traditional Craig Liebenson rehab. So, and at that time, that seemed overwhelming. Yeah. So, you know, and then as you correctly said, as we've, you know, moved along, I mean, there is a new technique system or new seminar rolling in and out of a town like St. Louis every weekend. So the average chiropractic student or young doc, they really feel this obnoxious neurotic pressure to try to integrate all these different things in. And I, I mean, I'll just bring it back full circle. Mm -hmm. I think too, I mean, if you don't know how to integrate all these new wonderful things you're learning, the original model might, might have produced better results for you. So that's where the integration piece becomes so critical. And Lynn Fay said it to me when I was a student and, you know, I, I was kind of pushing some limits as a, as a chiropractic student. And he kind of pulled me aside and he said, Brett, all this rehab stuff is wonderful, but he goes, you put in so much time and effort to be good at what you're doing. You deserve to earn a professional income. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, that is, that is exactly right. And I, so I, I just straight up asked him, I said, well, what is a professional income? And he told me, he asked me where I was going to practice. I'm like, well, kind of small town, Missouri. And he didn't even think about it. He's like hundred thousand dollars a year. So that kind of gave me my foundation. So now, you know, the, the thought that I always tell our interns is a professional income, and it depends on what part of the country you're in, but I mean, that's a six figure income within three years of you starting to work. And if you can't pull that off within three years, either you're in a bad system or it's you. So, I mean, sometimes like people just have to look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm, this is on me. I got to figure out how to be better at this, but 
um, that at least give you some guideposts. You know, we have, we have chiropractors now that are making $40,000 a year, which I mean, nothing, I guess nothing is wrong with that per se, except for the fact that you went to school minimum six years to get to this point. So, I mean, it's unfortunately too, I can't think of another profession where it's like this. Like if we took like the upper crust of our profession, a lot of times they're making the, the least amount of money. And you got to search long and hard to find a situation that is uh, like that. Usually, no matter what it is, whether it's athletics, sports, sales, business, when you are the best at what you're doing, your pay is reflective of that. So that's where it, you know, that's where it gets kind of tough. So, uh, you know, back to the original question, which was the integration piece. So how, how do we do this and, you know, have a successful income? Well, one of the main things that, I mean, I think I'll go to my grave saying is the assessment tells you everything. And I guess the, the fatal flaw that I see out of young students and I see out of young docs and old docs, honestly, is they are 100% over treating their patient. You know, like you would never, ever, ever go to your dentist and the dentist is like, okay, Today, we're going to do porcelain veneers. We're going to fill three cavities. We're going to put braces on your teeth. We're going to whiten your teeth. They, they would never do that. And I know that's like a, a gross example. However, like I feel like in our profession, our young docs are feeling the need to hit our patients with 20 different things. And there's a lot of redundancy in the treatment that they're doing. And honestly, and I learned this from one of my mentors originally, Clayton Skaggs, he was the master at not over-treating the patient. And, and I mean, even like if you look at like a Lynn Fay or Mark King, they'll tell you the same thing, which is we want to, like if we're just talking about manipulation, I mean, the big thing is maybe find one or two areas, make sure those one or two areas are moving well in all three planes of motion and then let it be. You know, it's a lot of times we, we don't get the desired outcome because we're completely over-utilizing or over-treating our patient with our techniques and so what's so beautiful about it is that actually works perfect for what you and I are trying to create with our profession, which is we just don't, we just need to, you know, do what we need to do today. And then we need to literally walk out of the room and watch the outcome. So I, I would say to the group of people that's probably listening here, the, maybe the biggest mistake would be uh, honestly doing too much in a treatment session. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, there's that there's the clinical side of that with too much time and over treating that's happening with that. There's also the psychology of it. I think a lot of chiropractors think they're in a time-based economy versus a results-based economy, right? Like uh, they think that uh, they have to spend more time. Yeah. There's, there's a point in no return. And again, it, it, so much of this goes back to trying not to be like the other side of the profession, right? Where uh, we don't want to give long treatment plans. We don't want to spend three minutes only with the patient, like all the things that we see uh, the other side of the profession do. We go too far to the other end of the spectrum and they think we're in this, uh, this time-based economy. But the problem that I'm seeing as well, and then we're going to circle this back to the, the treatment side of things, but they're applying the old model of financial reimbursement of chiropractic to this new model of, uh, of care, right? So they're either in network with insurance and they're getting $53 and they're spending 33 minutes 
uh, or they're charging, they're a cash practice and they're charging $50 and they're spending, you know, 28 minutes. Like, and that math just doesn't work uh, in, in this setting. And so we have to find that middle ground to where you can get great results with the patient and have a reimbursement model where the math adds up to $200, $250, $300 an hour capability in your practice. And I think you hit it on the head with uh, the overtreating because not, not only does the overtreating have a, a, a side effect uh, for them clinically, like a bad side effect potentially, but it also has a bad side effect to your practice, right? Um, so how do, I, I heard you talked about the minimal effective dose. How does that play into this? I'm assuming that's kind of the antithesis of, of overtreating, right? Right. So it, another like, Huge influence on my life has been uh, Stuart McGill, PhD out of Waterloo, Canada. And he, to this exact point, he used to tell a story about, uh, he saw an office worker who had a low back disc herniation, who was sitting at a desk and occupationally all day long, the way they had the phone set up, they were reaching across the desk with flexion over and over again. So and I'm sure the story has been enhanced over the years, but basically the fix was just to move the phone to the other side of the desk. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, then, you know, somebody could say, well, you didn't even do anything. All you did was this, you spent hardly any time. And what Stu McGill used to, used to tell about this is you are actually not paying me for my time. You're paying me for my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, and I, you know, I kind of go into the treatment room, always thinking about that because at the end of the day, and, and I, I would just encourage and inspire everyone that's listening on this thought. So there is, you can make more money if you see more patients. Of course, that math makes sense. The other thing that people don't realize is if we can see more patients, we actually accrue more experience. So at the end of the day, if I've seen, let's say 30 patients and, you know, my, my buddy's seen six, well, I've actually had, you know, then 24 more opportunities to get myself better at what I'm doing. So you can move, you can see more things, you can help more people. And of course, this is all like on a spectrum, basically. Mm -hmm. There is a point in no return where you're seeing, let's just say too many people in not enough time, and then you're not actually making yourself better. And we all know that's, you know, the other half of the profession. Uh, so, but to, to the original question, which was about minimal effective dosage. So this is no different than like, you know, supplementation or pharmaceuticals where you don't, you know, we, we wouldn't recommend that you overtake a supplement because if we do that, then obviously we cause problems. So really what we want to do is we want to find the perfect amount of dosage to the patient. That means manipulation, soft tissue rehabilitation, maybe neurodynamics. And then at that point, then we're done. So, you know, if we keep going, which is common with a, with a young clinician, we may get the same result, but we're probably not going to get a better result at that point. So why not just cut it off at that, at that time frame there? And, and that's when I talk about minimal dosage, it's about finding exactly what I want to do today and then plugging that in. And I, I would say that the most common reason over treatment occurs is because the clinician has not thought their way through the, the treatment plan effectively. So, cause if you thought it through at the end, we, we all call them doorknob patients where you're trying to get out of the room and they're like, do you have any more exercise on this? Imagine if you came back with them with certainty and confidence and said, no, this is all we want to do for today. Um, you do a really good job with this. And then next week we start, 
you know, we start your strengthening program or we start your neurodynamic program or next week you're going to, uh, I can't wait for next week because we're going to introduce you to these DNS principles. And I think that's another thing that uh, I, I myself have gotten good at, which is I'm always giving them a link or an anchor to the next thing we're doing. Because, and we're going to, I know, Kev, we're going to get into this, but like the key thing that's got to be conveyed to the patient is what I'm really good at is changing the function of the patient, not necessarily changing the pain. Because to be honest, the medical doctors here are way better at immediately affecting pain than I am, you know, just because they have, we can give you a cortisone shot, we can, you know, give you prednisone, whatever it might be. But um, so my big thing is to change function. And when the patient understands that, then that is a very liberating moment for the, for the young Cairo. And that's the irony of it too, is a lot of the chiropractors we talk to, they talk about function and they talk about movement and they, they talk about all these things that um, we, we all get, but then they get in the room with the patient and they make their clinical uh, judgment based on releasing that patient from care based on the pain, right? <laughs> 100%. So the, the true functionalist, like, and those would be the peoples in our circles. I, I think you nailed it. I think we probably find not in a bad way, but they're probably a little bit hypocritical, just like I was, or you were when you were young, you know? So um, if you're a true functionalist, you're basically not affected by pain. So what I mean by that is, you know, let's just say that, you know, today's Tuesday, we saw a new patient last Friday, the patient comes in and they're like, I'm a hundred percent better like not falling in the trap to trying to kick that patient out, mm -hmm. but then like coming back to their body and the audits to kind of see, or the checkpoints and kind of see, yeah, I'm glad you're feeling great. We still got these things we need to work on. If I were to release you today with this stuff still being dysfunctional, you will relapse within two weeks. And that's a, a common thing I, I, I say when I'm teaching is, you know, like when that occurs, so and this is a common uh, scenario because what we do is so powerful. You saw them today. The next day they see you, they're 90% better. The young clinician's already trying to get them out of the office because they haven't changed the true function of the patient. Within two to three weeks, the, the likelihood of that patient relapsing is probably high, quite honestly. Yep. And then what determines whether or not they'd actually come back to you would be how good your personality is, literally. So- and I, you know, the, for me personally, what happened was Troy, Missouri is, you know, it, when, especially when I got here 20 years ago, small town, you know, yeah. so I got to see all my successes and failures. And to be honest, early on, you know, people did really like me because they, you know, I thought I could fix everyone in two to three. I wasn't overutilizing, but then I noticed a horrible trend when I'd go to Walmart or Walgreens or out to eat, where I would see my old patients that I thought were literally, you know, quote, fixed, unquote, fixed. And they were, um, you know, they, they ended up having surgery. They ended up doing something else. Basically they did what, you know, I, did, I didn't want them to do essentially. So that is what basically shapes the clinician is when you get to see your results. If you're in downtown New York, you never get to see your failures. You know, mm -hmm. I got to see my failures and I, I was honest with myself and I'm like, I was good at changing pain early and I was not good at changing function and uh, that's, that was a big uh, deal breaker in my, in my career for me. All right, docs, here's a new opportunity for you from Darcy Sullivan of Propel. She is our SEO specialist in helping out many chiropractors. 
uh, with their search engine optimization and making sure Google is finding you and getting you new patients. It's amazing how many new patients chiropractors can get and are getting when they do uh, the SEO right and a few other things. And Darcy is offering a free SEO workshop just for chiropractors. And you can sign up for that at bit.ly bit.ly slash propel MCM. That is bit.ly bit.ly propel MCM modern chiropractic marketing, right? And so check out that link. And we're going to have you go over five SEO secrets to owning the first page of Google uh, without buying ads. And Darcy's going to give that free workshop one hour to really help grow your practice and start churning new patients from the ever mighty Google, which is still king in the online marketing. So check that out at bit.ly slash propel MCM for the one hour free workshop. Hey doc, are you moving office spaces or you're a startup with your own new space or you're like me where you need renovations because it's starting to look a little worn after about 10 years like ours is? Um, Crossfields Chiropractic Office Design is here to elevate you wherever you're at and they're going to help maximize your space and flow. They're going to really help attract and retain patients and this is going to have a great ROI on your investment when you increase that patient experience. So check out Chiropractic office designs by Crossfields. And we have a special link for modern chiropractic marketing listeners. And that is www.chiropracticofficedesign.com slash Kevin dash Christie. And with that, you're going to have discounts. We're going to have direct links to a mega bundle of free resources. And you can check them out and you can get 15 of our most popular floor plans, five phase checklist for a startup office, five point designer checklist to evaluate your current office image. And there's 30% off on all online products when you go to www.chiropracticofficedesign.com slash Kevin dash Christie. Yeah, that's huge. You know, and a lot of this is, is really improving communication. And I've talked to a lot of chiropractors about having certain phases of care, right? Like, okay, and maybe they get out of pain. That's an opportunity for them to now graduate into some more of the other stuff that you really couldn't do because there was pain or you know, different strategies that you talked about. And, and that goes back to what I want you to dive into a little bit more is maybe this failure of proper treatment planning by, yeah. by DCs and, and how that's playing a role into this whole thing. So can, can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So I think like where the big mistake occurs is I, I really believe most new patients, I mean, you got to get them committed for three weeks, you know? So and then at that three week mark is where I think like things start to fall apart as far as the education of function. Mm -hmm. So if the reason I choose three weeks, why I like three weeks is if your patient is dying of Mets, uh, that would be horrific, but let's just imagine, mm -hmm. and you make a good call at three weeks from a litigious side, you're still fine. You know, like you, you know, the patient didn't respond. You made a good move at three weeks. You got the imaging, you made the proper referral. Everything's good. Mm -hmm. So I like three weeks for that. The other thing I like about three weeks is it gives you a time to establish a relationship with the patient. So the big mistake that people make, in my opinion, is it's no different than like if you go on vacation and you get like hooked into a timeshare, <laughs> like you automatically start getting weird. You know, like you, you feel uncomfortable. They're like making an aggressive push. So I think what the, the chiropractor is trying to do this, the big mistake they make, they try to educate like these four different phases that maybe we're talking about now. 
they try to hit them with all of that on day one. Hmm. And it's no different than like a timeshare. Like you, the, the consumers just immediately like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, you know, this is not what I signed up for. Yep. So like, and I always say like jokingly, like my good patients, I mean, they're going to happily give me $10,000 a year through all the different services in our office. They're not going to realize they're doing it though. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I hit them hard on the front end and I said, okay, your care plan is going to be $10,000. They would not, they would probably storm out. Some wouldn't, yeah. but a majority would, would leave, you know? So I think like when done well with tact and like with integrity, like it just can happen naturally. But I think like the Cairo makes a mistake in like, just give them a second to like get to know you and to like you. Mm-hmm. And then it, that three week mark, then just, you know, the, the most common thing you and I are going to find after three weeks of treatment for the average case, they're 90% better from a pain standpoint. And they're probably 75% better from a functional standpoint. So then what do we do with them at that point? You know, like, so, you know, that is where a lot of times they fall off into this black hole. And I work hard with our uh, Kairos here is that what do you do with the patient who you didn't get a miracle with in two weeks, but you know, does, does not need an orthopedic surgeon, you know? Mm -hmm. So then that patient just needs to have their function changed over a period of time. And guess what? It might as well be you. So you know, and like, so what ends up happening is, and think how few cases required orthopedic referral. So what are you doing with the people where you didn't get a miracle in a week, but you know, are not going to require surgery. And that's the one, these new evidence-based group, they completely dropped the ball on. So, you know, we need to automatically be educating function with them. We need, you know, to be showing them. So I think people will, I, I like to use the example, and I know, Kevin, you're well aware of this establishment, but there's a restaurant in uh, Chesterfield or St. Louis called Annie Guns. Mm-hmm. And I've been to some nice restaurants. This is my literally my favorite restaurant in the world. It is a little bit expensive, but I don't mind paying it because the customer service, the food, the wine mm-hmm. is that much better than the, the next place down the street. So what would be a problem, though, is if you know, I'm paying extra money and I'm not seeing the difference, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think you got to be sure that you're like showing the consumer. And usually that's going to, you know, stand on its own because they're going to, they're going to feel better and they're going to, they're going to know they're in good hands and that you're a little bit mm-hmm. different. But I think that is a, that is a really key point to, I think these people who are trying to do what we're talking about, they're front loading too hard. You need three weeks to establish rapport and then at that point, then you start, you know, they, then they'll be on board for whatever you got. So I just think that uh, the average person is uh, probably it's coming off wrong early. And because of that, they're pushing the patient away. Yeah. And I want to touch on that a little bit because you mentioned, you know, like <clears throat> they'll spend the money through the course of the year. And it's just because they're seeing the value. Once they've come in, they say, oh, this is the real deal. They've gotten a few weeks to know that you're clinically sound and you care and, and the staff is nice. And so it's not like you have to do that hard sell, like the other chiropractors are selling, you know, year long treatment plans on visit two, where that's a, that's a sales job, right? That's a, a high pressure sales job. There ends up being buyer remorse. They're frustrated, but they can't get out of it. Uh, you know, th- that's why those chiropractors have to put all kinds of different tactics into hard selling the the big care plans. Whereas over that three, three week period of time, it's just given 
them an opportunity to see the value and then be willing to say like, yeah, I'm going to keep coming here. And you know, obviously your practice has functional medicine, all these other different avenues where they can improve their health, uh, but they're going there because they, they see the value uh, versus that hard sell. It's just like any guns. You're, you're going there to see the value because you see the value with it. And uh, right. And, and then the other thing I'd say, the patient who does not want to spend three weeks with you, now that patient, you literally do not want, you know, like nothing, nothing is wrong with the, I mean, I, some people have their opinions on the joint and stuff like that. Like that consumer right there, they should literally go to the joint because that's like kind of the service that they're providing. Mm-hmm. So then, um, you know, whereas this is, you're needing a, you need a three week commitment. So what I'm cause everyone's going to say, well, what if my patient doesn't want that? I'm telling you, like, that is less than 1%, but that 1% can utilize a service like the joint or, you know, uh, another, you know, that's just going after a different patient base, probably, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's why, like, I, um, we're having our mastermind, uh, actually, when this one comes out, we've probably already had our second weekend, and uh, we have strategic coach coming down to, to guest present. And we're talking a lot about the dangers, opportunities and strengths of our ideal uh, patients. And one of my ideal patients is they need to be value driven. Uh, I, I don't want the price shoppers coming in. Um, now, if they come in, it's going to happen, but I'm going to gear my messaging and my business and practice around people that see the value in this. Um, once they start haggling or all the different types of things, like I'm not going to put a lot of effort into that. And, and I'm very clear on it. And I think if you design your practice, like the way we're talking about today, you'll start to attract the value-driven uh, consumer and repel the the price shoppers. And if you if you can get this done well with tact, mm-hmm. they I mean then the doctors here all make fun of me just because like you know the, the I will literally get that person to say tell me in three weeks. So I, I'm I'm really kind of digging this. So so what does this mean long term? And then you can educate them even further, but. My point on that, and I, I'm just speaking from my own scars of learning the hard way, mm-hmm. but like when it's set up well, they're already starting to like ask you questions about the future. It's kind of like, and I, I cannot stand the term maintenance or wellness, yeah. but like in a functional way, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. It's like everything you wanted your maintenance program to be, but wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. but like when you have someone who truly understands the body well and all different facets, then like people there, there is a, you know, there's a place at the table for you in their, in their healthcare team. Mm-hmm. And I've heard uh, recently, Shirley Sarman, the great cooks of the world, they are now even in the world of physical therapy, trying to educate people. Like we need to do checkups on our patients, you know, like back pain is such a, you know, chronic back pain is such a layered problem to think that you're going to fix that case in two or three visits is insane, you know? So, you know, just basically, I mean, swerve into it, if you will, and, you know, do it the right way. And, um, and you're going to have your personalities too, that, you know, they're going to kind of, kind of come and go. And Mark King used to say this, he says, make it easy for them to come, make it easy for them to go. I think like the true like savant in practice, what they do really well, as far as like a a human management thing, they can walk into a treatment room and they can read what that person truly wants for them. And then they kind of keep everybody, you know, like they keep the person who came in in a suit, they're, you know, 50 Mm -hmm. years old, type A business driver, blah, 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 you know, like who thinks they're just incredibly busy. 
Like you have a lot to offer them if it's packaged the right way. And then you got your, you know, your granola type patient who's going to love everything you say anyways, you know, but Mm -hmm. the true master can get to both of those people when, when done well. But I think also understanding the consumers are different and being able to read that. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you like the uh, dentistry is a perfect example. I'm supposed to floss twice a day. Well, admittedly, I haven't flossed my teeth in the last two weeks, right? It's not a priority. I'm good at brushing my teeth, but like that doesn't mean that I'm doing everything I'm exactly supposed to do. Now, there are patients out there that are going to floss their teeth twice a week, you know, and I mean, those are the easy ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my point is, you know, being able to reach people where they are, expose what you can do for them, and then they can make a decision. And I mean, 99% of people they're going to be on board for it if you if you expose all the possibilities to them in the right way. Yeah, definitely. One of the things we've done to combat that whole maintenance wellness uh, that I don't like either is is we call it optimal performance care, and then we use some messaging around that where we're like the training room for their life, right? Oh, and, I love that. Yeah. I'm writing it down as we speak. I love that because <laughs> you know, like performance is like okay, it could be performance in work, performance in sport, performance in life, right? And then the training room for their life, we just try to realize like, look, we're the place you can go to, to come in when you got an issue or you want to stay on top of things and we could put out any fires or whatever. And just like the athlete goes into the training room when something's awry. And so that's what we've been doing to have another opportunity to communicate with them, to, to stay on top of their health. And so that's, uh, it's been, it's been effective. We, we've done that for probably the last six or seven months now, and, and we've liked it. Oh, I love that because so, you know, I, I, and this is two opposite ends of the continuum, but I always, you know, tell the the students, you know, are you walking into a Ferrari? Are you walking into a Ford Escort? Nothing's wrong with a Ford Escort by any means, but they get treated differently. So, you know, for example, if you are working with a sports team, well, you're just automatically working with 25 Ferraris. That's just the way that it is. Now, you know, if you smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, you drink too much, you gamble, you swear, you got all these bad things going for you and you got a little bit of back pain. Well, you're more like the Ford Escort. I still got a lot of things I can do to help you. Mm -hmm. Now, some Ford Escorts are wanting to be converted into Ferraris and some are not. So you owe it to the Ford Escort to show them the possibilities and, you know, try to get through to them, which you'll get better as your career goes along at being able to make that conversion. But then sometimes you just got to accept that you're a Ford Escort. So I'm not doing like very difficult, complex DNS positions with that person. I might be, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a low back disc herniation, I mean, we may be doing 10 press ups twice a day and that's their program, you know, besides treatment. So mm-hmm. I think again, back to the minimal dosage, like being able to see what am I walking into minimal dosage? What do I need to do to have a huge effect here? And, you know, do I need to talk them into something? Let's just say that, you know, they have celiac disease. We do blood work on them and they have celiac disease. Well, I have got to choose my words in a very motivating way because I literally cannot have that patient consuming gluten, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, they don't have a choice. I don't care who you are, how busy you are. Like you literally can't do this or you're not going to be around here in 15 years, you know, like, so you know, finding your words to, you know, reach all people is, uh, as Mark King would say, be a chameleon, you know. You're listening to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with Dr. Kevin Christie. 
Find more online at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com for more free resources, online courses, and the Chiropractic Success Academy. Now back to the show with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And then just to kind of finalize the treatment planning things, you and I had discussed a little bit of where uh, a lot of the chiropractors that have all these tools are, are throwing them all at them at, on every visit. I just want you to encapsulate a little bit that um, you're graduating them a little bit step by step. So they may not get the same thing on visit six that they got on visit one. And so you can, you can really uh, spread out the the care over that few weeks versus feeling like you have to throw the sink at them every visit. Can you just kind of just put a bow on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I think too, you know, the young clinician, they, and I'm in the same boat, Mm -hmm. they have this neurotic need to think they need to keep advancing their exercise program. And why that becomes (laughs) really important is that is a huge time suck. So like, if you're changing an exercise every time you're seeing them, I mean, I think like I've, I've actually like looked at the time of teaching exercise with our interns and stuff like that. I mean, you're looking at, that's a best case scenario, five minute, but more likely a seven minute process. So if you're wasting all that time doing that, then it, it takes away from your treatment time and everything we were talking at the beginning of this podcast. So instead, you know, if you have a sniper approach in your assessment and you find out exactly what is wrong with them, you've created an exercise that, you know, is hopefully encompassing all their major dysfunctions, one or two exercises. And then I motivate them hard on that. And then really usually I don't change that exercise for weeks, literally. So I might walk into the treatment room or maybe the intern or CA checks up on the exercise, but I walk in and, um, you know, I might say, show me your exercise. And then I'm, I don't revisit that until I feel like we really do need to advance the, uh, the exercise. So I think that is also a huge mistake in the, like this new contemporary rehab practice where they are constantly almost neurotically looking for the next thing. And I would just say, if they're, if you found a great exercise for them, let them run with it, let them get excited about it. Think of it like brushing your teeth. We don't look for more creative ways to brush your teeth. And, you know, this is a great thing to do to keep your teeth healthy. So just keep doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I would also say sometimes on exercise, put in points to their rehab besides brushing your teeth. No one really wants to be told that you have to do something every day for the rest of your life. Yep. So I think you're, what I always tell my patients is like, what, okay, today is, and I always tell the date, I'm like, Okay, so if it is, you know, mid-April, mid-May, May 15th, we are going to work really hard on this. That way in their mind, they're kind of understanding how long it's going to take. Once May 15th hits, this is what I want to start working on, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that that has created a lot of, lot of success for, for myself. But I mean, back to the original question, I think you were trying to ask me, which was, um, you know, the assessment is what is so critical so let's just start with directional preference. You know, mm-hmm. there's over 60 papers telling us that if we can find the direction to move a joint at in range repetitively, that, you know, we're going to have a miracle in 72 hours, you know? So I, I might search for that the first couple of visits. We're not, they don't even know that I know anything about DNS at that point. Like I never, ever get a, get ahead of myself. 
So if you look at great, in my opinion, great coaches and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the, what the craft is. Mm-hmm. Usually it's very simple, not over talking, definitely not getting biomechanical yeah. and not going on like this three minute description of what you're doing, hit the high points, tell them why it's important and establish rapport with them and why they need to do it. And then you're off and running instead of like over talking it. Well, that's like, I always use a golf swing analogy where it's like <clears throat> my golf swing is such that I got about 11 things wrong with it. And if I go to a golf coach and he tries to give me 11 fixes, I'm screwed. Right. But if he can find one thing that can solve seven of them and I can work on that for a while, then we can make some actual progress. Right. And I think it's a, it's a pretty good analogy uh, to what we're doing uh, sometimes in treatment. Right. 100%. I mean, in day one, too, there's one uh, R word that you you have to establish really early on. So, of course, it's rapport is one, but the other one is reassurance. Mm-hmm. So what reassurance does is let's just say that we do find that they have discogenic pain or disc herniation, whatever it might be. They're, you know, the, the consumer is so educated now. They've already Googled their condition. They're already in their mind thinking, do I need an MRI? Like, what's, what are all the next steps? So I will tell them, you know, when I get done with them, I'm like, you have nothing to worry about. I have literally seen this a million times. We're going to be fine. Or I might say, if I'm a little bit unsure, I'll say, I have all your next steps. So I do believe you have a disc herniation. We've, I've seen this a million times. You're going to do great. If you don't, I'm uh, affiliated with the best epidural specialist in St. Louis at Wash U. That would be the next step. And of course, um, the, the biggest option would be surgery, but I got all the back lines and the connections for that also, because I think like what the patient loves to hear that if they, if you don't get them better, that you have all their next uh, steps set up. So that might be one call to action for the younger docs. Like you want to establish these connections for the patient because I don't want to have to like truly, truly outsource any of this. Meaning I tell the patient, like your primary care, great doctor. I know him well, maybe I treat them, blah, blah, blah. Like when it comes to musculoskeletal health, I'm going to be able to help you navigate the waters way better than they can. Mm -hmm. And they're a little bit surprised by that. Like a lot of times they think their primary care would be better at being able to do that. So I always am like setting myself up for all scenarios. You're, you're kind of gambling. And when you're treating, you know, you're like with it, you know, you and I learned from uh, the best Norm Kettner where he taught like differential diagnosis, you know, like there's an 80% chance it's this. So if it ends up being in a 20%, I got you covered. Like I, I got all the other next options for you. So that's great. I'm going to go on a little bit of a preamble. I'm going to ask you one final question. I know you're busy. Um, we probably do a part two, 10, 12 and 13 of this, but we'll, uh, we'll keep it pithy. <laughs> um, I, a lot of docs go to your office. They go to my office. They see nice offices. They see a well-developed team. They see a busy practice. Uh, they don't see the 20 years it took. Right. And, but one of the things I think that is uh, very similar in both of our situations was that we, we started from something that looked a lot different than our practices look now. And it, and it did take time. It did take this escalation of uh, improving our clinical skill sets, our tools, being able to hire people around us, really good people around us. And one of the things that I get concerned the most 
with the issue we're talking about is this uh, lack of profit margin in practice in this uh, scenario that we've outlined today, where uh, too much time, not enough reimbursement, the math isn't working, the overtreatment, all that stuff is, is leading to this lack of profit margin. So they can't hire good people around them. And so they're, they're, they're constantly spinning their wheels and having to do everything. And it becomes, you know, challenging for them to be a, a clinical sniper because they're also taking credit card payment, they're answering the phone and they're doing everything uh, in that practice. And so I, I really want to challenge our audience that there is a way out of that. Uh, profit margin is important. It allows you to, uh, to pay yourself what you're worth, like a professional salary that you talked about. It allows you to hire people around you that are going to be even better than you at certain things. And that's going to actually provide a better patient experience than if it's just you, as great as you are. Uh, if you've got great team members around you, the experience will be better for your patient. And you ultimately will build a practice in 10, 15 to 20 years that you're going to be extremely proud of and will free you up to have a podcast or travel to teach or travel to learn or just travel uh, for fun. And so I, I really want our audience to recognize that you and I aren't really having this conversation it's not meant to uh, take advantage of patients and make as much money as you possibly can. It's about being patient centered, but also doing it in a way that allows you to build a thriving practice and, and thriving life. And so my, my question for you, uh, Brett, and I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot, but I, I know you'll be able to answer it. There's a lot of docs out there that are starting out and I think they fall into the issue where they don't have a lot of patients uh, on the schedule. And so they feel compelled to spend a lot of time. I remember early on, and it was, it was instrumental for me. You, you kind of talked about, you gotta, you gotta treat the patient, even if you have two that day, just like if you had 32. So that way they don't get trained into expecting 35 minutes of your time. Can you just speak to that a little bit? And then I'll let you go. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there was, you know, back when I was in school there, the practice management people would tell you, like, even if you don't have another patient, you at least need to walk into an empty room like you do have another patient. <laughs> and just like you said, don't fall into the trap of and I, okay, so I mean, I think like, this is one thing we probably need to talk about, like, um, so in the gym office hybrid, which I'm a big fan, we have a gym here. But we got to be careful to where like, you know, there's and Bobby maybe actually talked about this on a Facebook post. I thought it was actually really, really good, mm -hmm. which is, you know, like, do you, you know, like in the treatment room setting, you maybe you just, you know, did a full neuro exam on them. I mean, two minutes later, are we swing a kettlebell with them. I mean, it's just kind of the optics of it look weird. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying like, you could actually time that out to where that would make more sense to the patient. Um, to your other point, um, so when, you're, when your practice is small, you want to be really good at taking one patient and turning them into 10. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, because of poor personalities and poor bedside manner and things like that, people take 10 new patients and they literally whittle it down to one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you're going to learn real quickly if you're honest with yourself, either you're exploding your practice or you're not. And if you're not, then you got to start looking at some of these intangibles because to be honest like some of the best chiropractors in our profession they have these little tiny practices that nobody knows about so and and that comes back to what you're so good at which is 
you know, being able to communicate better to the, not only to your patients, but to your, your literally your community, mm-hmm. that way they know this wonderful service that, that you're committing. And uh, the starting point, I think that's the other part of the question, which is if you're a young doc and it can be hard, even like with us with ChiroTouch, I mean, when we run a report, there's just a lot of numbers that a lot of people wouldn't be able to make sense of. So what I think makes more sense, and I, I started doing this a while back, helped me out a bunch. I just look at my profitability per hour. So I know I call it my overhead triangle where I have two, two people up front and a CA in back. So I'm going to have that amount every hour. I have a salaried office manager. I got some other costs, but anyway, so th- those are like my hourly cost of doing business. And then I have how much money I'm bringing in. So when you break it down to uh, a micro level like that, you can see real quickly if you're profitable or not. Mm-hmm. So what a lot of people are going to find is they do the math on their overhead and then they do the math of what the money that's coming in real quickly, they're not profitable. So, you know, that's where you got to start, you know, maybe you tweak the overhead or you tweak your profitability or, or things like that. But that's a, that's a key number that, that I look at to see whether or not I'm profitable and to the point of nobody gets a practice like you have, or uh, I have, or Mark have like right off the bat, it's just literally not even possible. I get, this is, a 20 year amalgam of me and you like evolving along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, when I started, it was literally just me literally doing everything. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like, I mean, and I, I get it, but I mean, I think it's good because like it's inspiring for a young clinician, but I mean, and, and the other thing too, when you're a young clinician, the only thing you can do right now is get the person better that's in front of you. So if you can do that really well, then just, you know, continue doing what you're doing. But a lot of times people are, you know, there's a difference between dreaming and implementing. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of dreamers in the world and there's not that many implementers. So you got to be sure it's, it's good to dream and it's healthy to dream, but you also got to be sure that you can uh, implement and manifest your dreams. Awesome, man. I really appreciate your time today. Um, I- Tell us how they can find it. I know you got a, a nice little website. I don't know if you want to send them to Jasalt's website. It'd probably be the best way they can find all the different things you're doing. Yeah. I mean, the, as far as like, we always joke, the only thing that's truly free in the world is the podcast. So <laughs> um, that is Gestalt education. So we got, um, we got some amazing ones kind of just like getting ready to come out. I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of the ones that have come before. So uh, and obviously yours turned out great. So if you haven't listened to uh, Kevin on our podcast, I think it, it really turned out good. Um, so there's that. Uh, we have obviously, uh, like you said, we have an office website. It's Winchester Spine and Sport. And uh, yeah, you can get a hold of me on. Uh, I'm from the old school. So they all make fun of me here. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm only good at Facebook and I'm learning how to be good at Instagram. So we'll put it that way. But Facebook Messenger or my email, which is bw.winspineandsport.com. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for all you do with, for the, the profession cap. So, I mean, I can't, I know some things have kind of unraveled recently on the uh, social media threads with uh, the other half, but I, I, I mean, <laughs> I think like you just, you just keep doing what you're doing and uh, we're, we're really, really proud of you and the profession is uh, better off for you doing this. So I really appreciate that. Yep. Thank you. That is it for this week's episode, but before you leave, check us out at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com for all kinds of free resources such as blogs and the podcast episodes. We've got online courses. You can check out the Chiropractic Success Academy there, which is an amazing online coaching system for you at a very affordable monthly rate. 
there's a free online course on the modernchiropracticmarketing.com website, so check that out. If you're interested in some one-on-one coaching, we can do that as well. We have all kinds of resources for you there, and we would also truly appreciate if you could rate and review this podcast if you're getting valuable information out of it. I can't thank you enough, and we'll see you next week.